one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Strength to Strength. It's wonderful to be gathered here virtually with you all once again here this morning. And we have Brother Chuck joining us from Woburn, not far up the road from where I'm at right now. And I've been here for nine months and I haven't visited him yet. I feel like that's a crime. I hope to fix that here in the next few weeks. And he's joining us to talk about, it's our final installment on the Sacred Writings series that started back in October. And he's going to talk about, I think this is very fitting, a meal that makes you hungrier. And this series has been very enjoyable um, to talk about the word of God and how we've got it, that we can trust it, that we know that this is the word of God. And I know the first one we had, the first talk on this series was the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I know um, in Brother Chuck will probably talk about how we can see Jesus Christ in the scriptures and show people Jesus Christ in the scriptures. So to begin this and end this with Jesus Christ is very fitting. And the word of God is quick and powerful and alive. And I know that's been my experience with the Bible in my journey. And I know that it has been for many of you or all of you who wouldn't be here today. Um, it is truly remarkable, the gift that God has given us in the written word. And um, I'm so grateful that we that he's given this and with the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit to interpret it for us and brothers who interpret it for us as well. So before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Holy Father in heaven, we bow before you this morning. We're so grateful, Lord, for your gift to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his remarkable life, sinless life, living in power over sin and pushing back the powers of darkness. And thank you for his death and resurrection, that we too can die and have newness of life. Thank you for the apostles who heard the commission that Christ gave them and went into all the world and preached. Thank you for the things that they wrote in the New Testament. Thank you for all the prophets and men of God in over the thousands of years who wrote down what was inspired by the Holy Spirit and that we have a compilation of writings today that is alive. There's no other book on earth um, that touches the hearts of men like your written word, and thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for Brother Chuck. Thank you for the message that he has for us today. I pray that your spirit would be upon him and that you would give him um, words to say that would be honoring to you and that we could exalt our King Jesus Christ here again this morning. I just pray for each heart who is listening. I pray that the ground is soft and that we would be inspired anew to handle the word with reverence and with diligence and with hunger. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead, Brother Chuck. All right. I'm, I'm going to pray a little more too. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll open up our minds that we can see wonderful things in, in your in your word today. 
And please help me to teach uh, clearly and accurately. And I pray this be a blessing in some way to every person who listens. And uh, um, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The title, A Meal That Makes You Hungrier. And it's a, it's a provocative title. And uh, I... I uh, uh, I, I hope that 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 that's what you come away with. That this is uh, it's really a joy to study the scriptures, and uh, it just uh, continually should increase your desire to want more. A uh, little overview of what I want to cover today: three parables. Uh, the, the great teacher like to teach in parables, and they stick with you. And so I want to give you some things that have helped me over the years in terms of. Uh, the framework for studying the Word of God and getting the most out of it, and a few comments on why this is worth it. And then talk about reading on three levels. I'm going to take a text, uh, a test case from the book of Numbers. We just talked through that recently. I figure I'm going to take a book that nobody wants to tackle, and uh, if you can do it with Numbers, you can do it with anything, right? And then uh, open up for questions and discussion at the end. First of all, first fo focus to me is I really believe my desire is for the class to be practical, uh, not academic. I appreciate the academics that are out there, but uh, Jesus is uh, remind, I'm reminded that Jesus's disciples, most of them were uh, the closest ones were were uh, were fishermen, were laborers. That they're they're blue collar guys that work with their hands and. Uh, that this is this is really I'm inspired by Peter, and I read through his first letter how uh, wonderfully he draws from all over the Old Testament to make his points, and that he had a great uh, great deep knowledge of the Scripture, deep practical knowledge of the Scripture, and he was a fisherman. Uh, so this is the first parable that I want to talk about is uh, parable of the enriched flower. Okay, and uh, so I want to talk start off talking about um, um, baking bread, all right? Um, I learned how to bake bread in a co-op, and we, we, we would take uh, the wheat berries and grind them up every night and bake the bread for the next morning. And so I learned how to bake with using whole wheat, whole wheat wheat berries and, and wheat whole wheat flour that was freshly milled. And I learned over time that uh, there's a big difference between whole wheat bread and the bread that most of us eat. And it goes back to the late 1800s, 1870s to 1890s, where they switched over from stone milling to using uh, ceramic and um, steel mills, rollers. And what they could do with this type of milling, now normally uh, the wheat berries last for quite a while, but when you, once you break the, uh, the bran, the outer shell away, it oxidizes quickly, and you lose a lot of the the nutrients value of of the uh, the wheat is lost quickly. So, uh, and all the other thing that happens is it uh, it starts to spoil. So, uh, if you don't refrigerate it, so um, what what they discovered was that in milling the grain, they could they could uh, separate the the white starchy part from the bran and the germ. And this had a number of advantages. One was the flour was lighter. It, it rose more easily. So it was much easier to bake things like pastries and cakes. It was more attractive. It had a whiter color and it had a much longer shelf life. So it was good for production and storage and led, led to a lower cost in the flour. So those are all good things. And people like the nice 
fluffy pastries, you know, the croissants and the uh, the cakes, things like that. Uh, but uh, so here, here's what you end up with. I, I was uh, growing up a, as a child. My mother would make sandwiches out of Wonder Bread, which was nice and white and puffy. And uh, I thought this I thought that's what bread was like until I discovered whole wheat bread is a completely different thing. So now what happened, what they didn't realize is that when they milled out the bran and the germ, um, that they were losing most of the nutrient value, the fiber, the trace minerals, and the, the B vitamins were removed from this milling process. And so what happened over the next few decades is that a number of diseases, beriberi, uh, pellagra, anemia, the, the number of diseases increased as a result of people not being properly nourished. And they didn't realize this until the early 1900s. And they decided that they would correct this by enriching the flour, which is take a few things that they lost. And they're like, I think there are 40 different uh, uh, you know, vitamins, minerals that are in flour, the 44 that we need. And they they took three or four of them, four or five of them, and they started putting them back into the white enriched flour. And the problem is that we didn't realize that God put a lot of things into the, the whole wheat that we need for life. And we didn't even know that we, we needed this. <laughs> it took the sciences a few decades to figure that out. Now, um, the uh, so the application for this to me is uh, a lot of a lot of churches to me a lot of christians are kind of like the wonder bread version all right so basically they take the whole bible and they say well this part's this we don't need this part we don't need that part let's just focus on the gospels let's just focus on the book of psalms but we'll really neglect a major part of the scriptures and we need it all and and the thing is, we don't even understand why we need it all. I was in a church where for many years, what they do at the, at the beginning of the year, they'd say, okay, what do we think the people need? And they pick which which books. And it was always, they would come down with, well, people need evangelism, they need discipleship. They'd be, be the same three or four things that what do the people need? And and they they pick the verses to go around that and to be topically uh, focused preaching. And, and I'd always raise my hand every year they ask the question, I'd say, well, why don't we just teach the entire Bible? And they said, well, that's unrealistic. I said, well, we'll take our time. We can do this over a few years. And they said, they said that's unrealistic. Uh, there's a lot of parts of it that don't apply that aren't that interesting. Let's just focus on the same things that we always focus on. Um, uh, someone who really inspires me is uh, James A. Harding. He died uh, just over 100 years ago. He was a famous uh, preacher, and he's mo probably most famous for, for starting Christian colleges. And... Um, uh, a lot of things I like about him. He's a, a, a good, good-hearted man. But when he died, the when one of his students gave the eulogy, and he said, "You know, all the things that you appreciate him and he's famous for." He said, "the the biggest thing that he did is that this man set more people to reading the Bible than any other preacher, and he infused his own love and appreciation for the Word into those who came under his sway." So what he did was, as he was going around preaching, he would he would challenge people, and he'd start Bible reading clubs so people would have accountability with each other, and uh, he'd get everybody wherever he went in, in his travels to to read the Bible every year, 
And uh, he himself, by uh, 1914, this is eight years before he died, he said he'd read through the Old Testament 60 times and the New Testament 130 times. He read, he, he practiced what he preached, but he was a big advocate of we need the entire Bible. And he's left a legacy 100 years later in, in the, uh, the Churches of Christ, a very strong focus on study of the Bible. So um, some, some, some basic takeaways are, uh, for me, from the, the parable of the, of the whole grain, the whole wheat here, is we need all of the scriptures. There are things in it that we don't know that we need. And when we start neglecting major parts of the Bible, we're going to end up with spiritual diseases of malnutrition. And I've seen that happen in churches that 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 uh, go both the Wonder Bread route and 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 the 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 whole grain route. Parable number two is the story of the man in the wilderness. And some people are going to say that's not a parable; that's a, that's a real story. Well, it is a real story, but there's a there's a level of there's a parable uh, uh, meaning uh, that that I believe is included in there that the early Christians saw in uh, Exodus chapter sixteen. I'm going to read uh, read from the the scriptures here. <clears throat> So Exodus 14, we have the crossing of the Red Sea, and in chapter, chapter 15, they celebrate that with the Song of Miriam. And then at Acts chapter 16, the people run into the first challenge. It says, uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version, And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died in the, in the land, uh, at the hand of our Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. You brought us out of the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. It shall be on the sixth day they shall prepare what they bring in. It shall be twice as much as they gather. And then down in verse 11, continuation of the story, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know I am the Lord your God. So was quail came in the evening and covered the camp, and in the morning a dew lay all around the camp. And when the layers of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who were in his tent. The children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. When they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning and had bread worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much 
two umrahs for each one, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. So they had to gather it every morning, and they had to gather it in the morning before the sun became hot. So the, some of the details of the story I find I find interesting. They couldn't store it up for multiple days. So you think it'd be more, more efficient to gather it up, uh, just do it once a week. But no, they had to gather it uh, every day, except, of course, they couldn't work on the Sabbath. So they had to get two days worth on that day. And uh, it says further on that it was very versatile. They could bake it in, in, in the oven or they could they could boil it. And uh, it appeared every day, except it didn't appear on the Sabbath on the seventh day. So it was a true miracle. People try to, to find a way that this was some natural phenomenon. <laughs> natural phenomena don't occur for seven days and then disappear for one day and occur, occur for six days and then occur for another six days for 40 years and then stop. This is definitely a miracle. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, So it was, it was white flakes on the ground, and a little further on in chapter 16, it says that it tastes like something made with honey. So it had a pleasant, a sweet taste to it. And Aaron was told to keep a pot of this manna for future generations along with the Ark of the Covenant, as a reminder of this, how they were fed in the wilderness. And this sustained them for the entire 40 years that they were in the wilderness. Of course, the 40 years in the wilderness, as Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 10, is a type of the Christian life. So the people were in slavery in Egypt. They passed through the Red Sea. They're baptized into Moses. Paul says 1 Corinthians 10, the first 13 verses. And then they go through the time of testing in the wilderness. So this is the food that sustained them in the wilderness. The wilderness representing the Christian life. And then uh, those who were righteous made it all the way to the, the promised land and the next generation. So, uh, <clears throat> uh, but the number, the, the, the bread, this wonderful tasting, sweet, honey, honey type bread, um, uh, it, uh, it didn't really satisfy the people. So in Numbers chapter 11, it says that the mixed multitude, the, uh, the people from Egypt who left with the Jews, miss the wonderful food that they had back in Egypt, all the onions and the leeks and the cucumbers, all the tasty variety that they had back in Egypt. And then they get the, the Israelites to complain about it as well. And uh, uh, so God is upset with that in Numbers chapter 11. And then Numbers chapter 21, this is that that was the near the beginning of the 40 years in the wilderness, near the end of the 40 years, Numbers chapter 21. I think this is after Aaron dies, so it's it's very close to the end. The uh, the people are again complaining about the manna. They're bored and they miss the variety of food that they had in Egypt. In Numbers 21, verse 5, it says, The people spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, there's no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So God was very upset about that, uh, and uh, they get they get uh, they get punished for that. I think that's uh, that's the the story of the bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness that Jesus refers to in in. Uh, uh, in John chapter three, when the Lord says venomous snakes to, to, to bite and kill the people. And of course, uh, this all uh, gets gets wrapped up in, in uh, the Moses's uh, farewell speech in Deuteronomy. Uh, 
in, in Deuteronomy, there's, there's a, a retelling of the story of the Exodus and the famous statement, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, which is why this story is so important to us, where Moses says, you shall, uh, starting in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, you shall remember the Lord your God, how he led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowing you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Of course, Jesus quotes this when he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness right after his baptism. Now, applications for us. First of all, if this is what the Lord is trying to tell us to pound into our minds, that this is this is the type of the, the time in the wilderness is the Christian journey is our life in this world here. Uh, we need this food from God every single day. We can't gather it up once or twice a week and store it for a few days. It says that it had to be fresh, otherwise it would uh, it would stink like like something with it was stinking like a, it's a maggot infested, disgusting uh, mess. Um, you know, a lot of people struggle. Say, well, you know, I'm so busy. I, I have so many things to do in life. I, I just, you know, when when things slow down, that's that's when I'm going to get into the Word of God. And uh, and I and I ask people. I said, well, did you have time to eat today? Were you so busy that you just didn't eat anything the whole day long? I said, oh, I, I guess you do have enough time. Then that's really not, that's not the problem. It's because your stomach is telling you to stop what you're doing and eat. And you make time to eat physical food, but our spirits need it even more. <clears throat> Another thing, it says that it was sweet to the taste, and I'm reminded what it says in Psalm 119 that the word your word is like uh, like honey from the honeycomb. Uh, thing people got bored with it. Uh, you know, a lot of Christians <clears throat> they're on a journey, and after after a few decades, they get bored. They they want some variety. So let me read some other books. Or let me go and read some some uh, some worldly literature. I just I, I'm just I'm just bored of eating the same food all the time. And they look back longingly on the food that they had in Egypt, which is which had more variety to it, and they want to go back to that. Another thing I noticed here, <clears throat> it said they needed to gather it in the morning. That when the heat of the sun came, it faded away. And I've had arguments with people in the past about this. I said, does it matter if you have your time with the Lord in the morning or not? And and, and some people say, well, yeah, that's the best time to have it. Other people say, well, I'm kind of an, e an evening person. I'm not, I don't want to make a rule about that. But, but let's think about this. The, the manna, you could bake it in an oven. And you could boil it. However, when the sun came out, it melted away. Now think about that. That doesn't that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Uh, why would that be? Well, maybe the Lord's trying to teach us a lesson about something. Uh, the wisdom of Solomon, which was in the original King James version of the Bible, it was taken out a little over hundred years ago. In chapter sixteen, there's there's a a statement there where it's the the writer says that. This story about them having to gather it in the morning before the heat of the day was 
that the Lord was teaching us to rise early and give thanks to him. So those who are on the call, I don't have to rebuke anyone here. The call starts at, at six in the morning. So you're all you're all early risers. And hopefully you're you're praising God and getting in the word of God and not just getting up early to, to, to milk the cows or take care of some other responsibilities that you may have in life. But you're putting the word of God first. So the challenge, I guess, is to those who are who are listening online after the lesson is posted, who didn't get up early, uh, to 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 take that very much to heart. Now, I'm also reminded what David says in Psalm five from verse three. It says, "My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up." So there's, there's a wonderful blessing that comes from starting our day off by uh, by uh, by partaking of the man of God. Uh, so as as I mentioned here, that this this was a, a reminder that it is sweet, tastes like honey, and uh, to get up get up early to before the heat of the day, whenever that is. Uh, another one, another parable that's helpful to me is that the story in Leviticus chapter eleven of the clean versus the unclean animals. Let's uh, Leviticus chapter eleven, starting in verse one. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you, you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, although it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, it does not chew the cud. It is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat. Their carcass you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. So very simple. Uh, the, 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 among the mammals, anyway, the 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 clean food that you could eat or touch would be split hooves and choose the cut. And one for two doesn't get you there. So I mean, a rabbit, uh, a rabbit would be an example of an animal that has, uh, that chews the cud, but it doesn't have split hooves. It's got paws. Or on the other hand, a camel or a horse, it would chew the cud, but it's got a monolithic hoof. It doesn't have split hooves. So uh, what's, what does this have to do with us? Uh, uh Several of Christians commented on the significance of this. Now, we're not under the law of Moses. It says in Colossians 2 that the law was nailed to the cross. And we're not bound by the dietary requirements. It's very, very clear. On the other hand, Paul also says in Colossians 2, verse 17, he says that the law was a shadow of things to come. So the law pointed and foreshadowed things that have been fulfilled in Christ. Now the shadows have come, now the reality has come, the shadows have passed away, we don't have to follow the shadows. And he talks about the example of uh, circumcision among the Jews, foreshadowing uh, Christian baptism, putting away the flesh. Um, Now, think about all the places in Scripture that God uses animals to teach us lessons. It's really all over the place. It said, you know, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. It goes back to Deuteronomy 25. It's mentioned a few places in the New Testament. 
Uh, don't take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs from uh, Matthew 15, Jesus. Go to the ant, you sluggard, Proverbs 6. Uh, go tell that fox, referring to Herod, uh, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless, harmless as doves, Matthew chapter 10. And, uh, you know, and, and a very colorful one as a dog returns to its vomit or a sow having washed goes back to wallowing in the mire in Second Peter chapter 2. So, uh, <laughs> now, <clears throat> pigs, as, as men I mentioned to you, that you can see here the little piggies. You have the, the cloven hooves, the split hooves or the trotters that the pigs have. Uh, but uh, the, do the ch pigs chew the cud? No, the, the pigs, eat, pigs eat garbage. Right. So pig, pig was an unclean animal. The Jews wouldn't eat it because they don't chew the cud. They'll eat anything, including garbage. On the other hand, the ruminants, the animals that chew the cud, like a like a cow or a sheep. <clears throat> I'm told that the cows actually only have one stomach, <clears throat> but the stomach has four chambers in it. And there's this little little diagram here that the, the the cow can eat the grass and put it in the first chamber of its stomach. And then uh, later on, it will cough it up and chew it over and chew it over and then swallow it down again. <clears throat> so you, the, uh, excuse me. Now, <clears throat> is the Lord trying to communicate something to us here <clears throat> in the in the story of the the clean versus the unclean animals. Irenaeus was a bishop of the church of uh, in Gaul. He's writing around the year 180. Uh, but Irenaeus, is interesting to me because Irenaeus had been a student of Polycarp, who in turn was a student of the Apostle John. So he's one link removed from the Apostles. And he makes, he, he, he discusses this whole story. This is an Ananicene Fathers uh uh, book five, I'm sorry, volume volume one, page uh, uh, 534. And he discusses this and he explains that the two requirements here, so the difference between this, the single hoof and the split hooves, he says the split hooves are those who believe in the father and the son. They're more sure-footed than the monolithic Jews who just believe in the father. And he says the chewing the cud, as you probably figured out, is those who devour the pure word of God rather than the pigs that eat anything. They're, undis they're not discriminating. The cows that will just eat the pure word of God. And then during the day after eating it, <clears throat> they will cough it up and chew it and chew it and chew it again. All right. He said, now this is the clean animal. This is the lesson that you're supposed to learn is that we are not like the Jews who they, they chew on the word of God, but they only believe in the father, not in the son, that we believe in the father and the son, but we chew on the word of God. And this is a beautiful picture of meditating on the word of God, a physical manifestation of this. And I think about Psalm 1, another great passage about the word of God, blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water, brings forth his fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, whatever he does shall prosper. So, so this is the picture. 
is that we don't eat everything. We focus on the pure grass, the pure word of God. And we are designed to have to, to get all the nourishment out of it. We've got to be chewing on it during the day. We've got to be meditating on it. This is a beautiful picture uh, here. And the other early Christians made, made similar uh, comments on this, Clement of Alexandria being one of them. So uh, uh, don't be like the pig that eats garbage. Uh, be like the ruminants. Seek the pure grass of the word, and then after eating it, regurgitate it, chew on it throughout the day to get all the nourishment out of it. So this is a, this is a more laborious process, and this is what makes the difference, is are you ruminating on the word of God? So, uh, you know, I mentioned here, God uses animals to teach us, uh, you know, sheep among wolves, illustration, God uses animals throughout the scriptures to teach us all kinds of lessons, and perhaps this is another one the early Christians uh, certainly thought it was. So uh, why is this so important? I mean, uh, just, just want to hit a few things here, why this is so important to me. Um, The knowledge of the Word of God and really deep knowledge of the Old Testament prophecies was how the world was evangelized in the beginning. So in the book of Acts, we see this throughout the book of Acts, uh, that this is how the apostles converted people. And people say, well, that's because they were reaching out to Jews. However, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that the gospel that he preached to them was that Christ died for our sins in, in fulfillment of the scriptures. He was buried and he rose on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures. So it says, and that fulfillment of scriptures means in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. That was the gospel that was handed down to the Corinthian church, which it says in the beginning of chapter 12 was, was predominantly a Gentile church. And look at the sins they were involved in, their Gentile sins. So for evangelism, this is this is one thing, uh, and I, I see this. I really inspired Justin Martyr, his first apology here, which is in uh, "We Don't Just Speak uh, Great Things, We Live Them." Modern translation of that, and where he goes after the Romans by, and he uses the the proof of the fulfilled prophecies in the in the Old Testament scriptures, which they would have access to reading the Septuagint in Greek. So he talks about that, uh, Justin Martyr's Dialogue with Trypho, which is a devastating exposition of the Old Testament. I think of Eusebius's Proof of the Gospel, some things that from, from earlier times that really inspire me and call me higher to, to be able to powerfully use the, the scriptures. If you know the Bible well, the Old Testament prophecies, and I've seen this uh, used to great effect of truth-seeking truth -seeking, uh, people from even from other cultures, from China, who have been impacted by the proof of the gospel because they see that this is this is not just based on a feeling that this is this is fulfilled prophecies from hundreds of years beforehand. So evangelism uh, it, it's extremely important uh, for gaining wisdom. Uh, and I'm reminded of what it says in, in Psalm 119 that uh, uh, I have more wisdom in. Uh, Verse 97, it says, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. They're ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm getting on in life here. So my, my, I got some, some white, white in the beard. 
uh, and uh, should I live so long, I'll, I'll hit 70 years old this year. And so I'm in a church where I am uh, at this point in time, by far the oldest person in the church. So a lot of the younger guys come to ask advice from me and they say, well, it's because you're, you're older, you're old enough to be my father, or in some cases, my grandfather. And uh, as I tell them, I said, look, I know a lot of old people that, that are fools that don't have much wisdom at all. So it, it, the question isn't how old are you? It's what were you doing during all those decades that you were in the process of getting old? If you spent your time meditating on the word of God, now you've got some wisdom to share with people. So this is a this is this is where we go if we want to become wise, wiser than the ancients, wiser than the elders, wiser than the teachers. We go straight to the word of God. Of course, it's a, it's a representation of Satan uh, challenging Jesus to cast himself down uh, from the, uh, the heights of the temple. Um, and I think about how Jesus used, Jesus had the word of God written in his heart. I think of how Jesus used the scriptures uh, when he was tempted by Satan as a wonderful example of how we should respond by memorizing the scripture and calling it back. There's nothing quite like that. Of course, Ephesians 6 talks about the sword, take up the sword of the spirit, the offensive weapon in the battle against the forces of evil. Um, challenge to persevere in the faiths. I was a, a, <laughs> I was a, a rower uh, uh, a little earlier in life. And uh, what we do for to, to get our perseverance up is we run up and down the stadium stairs, which is a brutal exercise to teach you perseverance. Perseverance is even more important. The spiritual realm is a representation of the uh, the Exodus journey, and six hundred thousand uh, uh, adults, m- males, crossed out of Egypt. But out of out of that group, only two from that first generation made it all the way to the Promised Land: Joshua and Caleb. Which is a sobering story for us. That the challenge is not just becoming Christians, but to remain faithful to the very end. So that's a, a story had a great impact on, on my own journey. Uh, here in Massachusetts, uh, Sam, you recognize this. These are these are the three the three decker houses, right? I live in one. <laughs> I live in a two-family house here. And uh so there this is a common style of architecture all around the Boston area. It was the three deckers. And so I use this as an illustration to me to uh, when we're meditating on the word of God and we're chewing it, it's uh, it's I really look at this as a as 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 there are three levels when we're when we're studying scripture, particularly the Old Testament, which is three quarters of the Bible. First level is the basic storyline. everybody gets that. And, you know then and then the second level, the second and third level, that's where you gotta that's where you gotta do do the chewing throughout the day to really get the most out of it. second and third level. second level is practical moral lessons for us contained in the story. You got to work the story to to find out what those are. And then the third one, not in every story, but actually in quite a few, is the foreshadowings. There are things in the stories in the Old Testament that are that are foreshadowings in the New Testament. So uh, to help you with the second and third levels, uh, Jesus and the apostles will sometimes uh, go into that. It'll explain it to us. That's the first place to look. Uh, early Christians will sometimes have uh, really good insights into these things from their own meditation, from what they've learned, and then there's just chewing on it yourself and working, working with working with the text, working with the scriptures of uh, of of reading it in the morning and thinking about it all throughout the day. All right, how does this pertain to my life? 
what can I learn from this? And I'm reminded of uh, uh, what Paul says in uh, in Romans. He said, everything in the past written to teach us. Uh, so that uh, he, I think he quotes from Psalm 69 there. But but his attitude was all these things. There, there are things there to teach us. We just have to work it to find out what those things are. Um, so uh, as I mentioned, uh, in my 20s, I took uh, I, I, I I was tremendously impacted by the story of the Exodus journey. I took a, in my late twenties, uh, I took a class on, and it was an Old Testament survey class. And I went through the Old Testament and explained that the whole Exodus journey, as Paul uh, Paul points this out in First Corinthians chapter ten, it's also alluded to in Hebrews three and four, and there's one line in in Jude as well that this is a foreshadowing of the Christian life: is that the people were in slavery. They passed through the water, which, and uh, you know it says that um, they were all. Uh, Paul says they were all baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea, and then that, and then they're traveling through the wilderness. They all ate the spiritual food. They drank the spiritual drink. They drank from the rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But it says, but God was not pleased with most of them. They fell in the wilderness, and these things are an example to us. So this is the story. We want to make it to the promised land just because you're. In the church, you're baptized, you're eating the spiritual food and drinking the spiritual drink. There's no guarantee that you're going to make it to the end. You've really got to watch out for the sins. He mentions four or five in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10. So this story made a, a great impact on me. And, and uh, <clears throat> sometimes in our house church, we, we really focus on expository teaching. It's probably no surprise, uh, the uh, given my convictions about these things. That uh, I don't know what we need, so let's just cover everything. That's 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 my uh, my desire is let's let's cover as much of the scripture as possible. And uh, last year it really struck me. You know, we need to we need to go through the book of Numbers because uh, of the forty years in the wilderness, uh, almost all of it takes place in the book of Numbers. That this the, the the middle part of this journey here, uh, from the really from the time that uh, they they. Um, decamp from Mount Sinai until uh, the death of Moses. Uh, that's really all covered in the book of Numbers, about 38 years right there. So I thought, if this is the foreshadowing of the Christian life, I, we better know these stories. <clears throat> so, and I think, let's, Numbers is a great example because Numbers is probably the last book that most Christians want to read or teach. I mean, even the name sounds boring. I mean, it, it's, it starts off with a census. It ends with a census. And I think, what does this have to do with my life? And uh, actually, even the census is important because it really drives home the point. They counted the number of people who came out of Egypt. It was over 600,000. They took a census of them, and only two made it from that first generation of the promised land, which drives that home. So so this is this is the question. We're going through the book of Numbers and and chewing on it, meditating on it, taking it, you know, a chapter at a time or or one one topic at a time, going through, going through all the way through the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter nine, we we run into the story of the pillar of cloud and fire. And it says that when the pillar of cloud, in fact, it was, it was a, a cloud by day, fire by night, when it lifted, this is first introduced in Exodus, I think it's Exodus chapter, uh, chap, right around chapter 14, where 
after the Passover lamb is slain, that's when the pillar appears. And it leads the people to the water. It leads them and protects them through the water. It separates the people of God from the Egyptians. And then in the promised land, Numbers chapter 9, it explains that when the pillar of cloud and fire lifted, this was the, this, this told them where to, to uh, set up camp and where they were going to have the the tabernacle, and they're going to uh, locate themselves around it. But when it lifted, they would pack up and get ready to, to follow it, and they'd go wherever it went. And then when it stopped and came down again, they would set up camp there. So this was the the, the pillar of cloud and fire. And what's the significance for us? Well, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Well, what does that make us think of? Jesus says, John chapter 3, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he can't see the kingdom of God. So the water is the Red Sea, uh, as as uh, as Paul points out, and, and the, the spirit of cloud and fire would be representing the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit doesn't show up until, doesn't appear until after the Passover lamb is slain. That's what, that's what similar to what Jesus said. I've got to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and leads them through the water and leads them all the way on their journey to the promised land. So what does it tell us about the importance of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is, is the one given to us to guide us all the way to the end of our journey. So this is something very practical to me. And I was from a, a church tradition that really downplayed the importance and significance of the Holy Spirit. So this really, really helps me to appreciate visually the importance of the Spirit. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 13 this is a famous story. They send the, the 12 spies out into Canaan. There's a little line in there that I had missed and I, I benefited from the early Christians where all it gives the names of all 12 of the spies, and one of them is Hosea, the son of Nun. And then it, it says in Numbers 13, and to Hosea that God gave the name Joshua. Of course, if the, the early Christians are reading this in Greek, it says Jesus. So it's like, whoa, he's, he's given the name Jesus. This is the successor to Moses. Moses will not be able to complete the job. Jesus will be the one to finish it. He's going to be the closer. He's going to be the finisher. All right. A uh, little, little, uh, little heads up here. So that, that was significant. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I was reading it earlier. Justin Martyr in his dialogue with Trifo, he's explaining us to Trifo. He says, well, you know, why do you think he, he gave him the name Jesus to the guy who'd be the successor of Moses. So that's one thing. And then, and then the other thing to learn here too is that this is the this is the separation. Joshua and Caleb were faithful to God. They believed that God could do it. They saw the giants that were there. They weren't just optimists, but they really believed that God could deliver. God said he was going to give them the promised land. They believed that God could do it. Whereas the other 10 said, this is impossible. And they gave up and they said, let's go back to Egypt. And they rebelled. So there's some tremendous practical lessons in this story. But we also see, we also see the name of Jesus being revealed in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 20, Moses strikes the rock. Now, Moses, in the book of Exodus, Moses struck the rock and no problem. So here in Numbers 20, God tells him to speak to the rock and he strikes it again. 
which is just what he did the first time. There's no problem with that. And God is so upset that he tells Moses and Aaron, because of this, they're going to die in the wilderness and they won't see the promised land. And Moses later on begs the Lord, please let me go into the promised land. The Lord says, no, you're going to see it from a distance, but you won't because of because of what you did here. So I'm thinking, wow, Moses was a great guy. Uh, he, you know, he, he, and he, he, was, he was faithful to God. Why was God so upset about striking the rock? Because first time it was okay. And <clears throat> now think about that. Paul says, they drank from the rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Wow. Okay. So the rock, now many places in scripture, a rock, an un, a rock that does something unusual, Peter mentions three of them, but there are a lot of them in scripture, uh, is foreshadowing Christ. And it's this rock that's certainly doing something unusual, is providing water for people in the wilderness. And, and of course, think about what Jesus said, that he'll provide living water for us. But uh, think, okay, if, if the rock is Christ and, and the wooden staff of Moses, what might that represent? Well, I think of, of wood in, in the scriptures many times is, is foreshadowing the cross. So, you know, Christ was only going to be crucified once, and we don't want to be crucifying the Son of Man all over again, or we're going to be in big trouble. It talks about that in, in Hebrews chapter 6. So uh, a, a, a warning about the, the fear of God. We need to do exactly what God tells us, no more, no less. But also, we don't want to do anything that's going to, to uh, in any way, crucify Christ again. He, he was crucified once for all time. <clears throat> Numbers 21, the story of the bronze serpent. And, of course, uh, we know from what Jesus said in John chapter 3, as uh, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man may be lifted up. And Tertullian pointed out to the Jews, he said, you know, think about it. Uh, God said in the Ten Commandments, don't make an image of anything, on uh, any likeness of anything on the earth. And they got in trouble for making a golden calf. And here he puts a serpent. This is, this is a symbol of Satan up on a pole. Why in the world would God require that? And of course, it, this is foreshadowing the cross, that Jesus would be lifted up, that he'd become a curse for us, and that all those who are bitten by the serpent would have to look to him would look to the cross to be to be saved. So this is a we see we see the cross in, in, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 20. The story of Balaam and his donkey. So there's a there's and and the story of Balaam's donkey, this is uh, alluded to by Peter, Jude, and and Jesus, that this is an indication that Balaam was a was a was a true prophet. He issued prophecies about Jesus, some rather amazing ones, particularly his third and fourth prophecy, but he was, uh, Balaam was, uh, became corrupted. He was corrupted by money and he was corrupted. And eventually and it says in Numbers 31 that he was the one who was behind the Midianite women uh, seducing the, the Israelite men, in which case uh, 24,000 died as a result of that. So uh, so we see the example of Balaam and their prophecies about Jesus, but also lessons that just as there were false prophets in the past, that there will be false teachers among us. So we shouldn't be surprised when this happens. That's always been the case. Numbers 25, story of the immorality with the Midianite women, and that's Phineas who drives the spear between the, uh, the two who were involved in sexual immorality and brings an end to the plague. And Phineas is given 
the covenant of peace as a result of this. So the priesthood goes from his father, Eliezer, to him and to his descendants. He's given the gift of the priesthood. He gets the covenant of peace. You think, well, that's a kind of an unusual way to get a covenant of peace by skewering two people who are involved in sin. But uh, it's a lesson to me, real peacemaking means you're addressing sin. It doesn't mean you're covering things up and you're looking the other way and you're just kind of going along. But uh, but but this is what it takes. So there's so many lessons to learn the the dangers of sexual immorality that uh, you know says Paul says in one day twenty three thousand died this is to teach us a lesson. This is eight times the number of people that died in the the whole uh, 9-11 World Trade Center disaster. Uh, just just to highlight the danger of sexual immorality for for all of us. So um, there's so much to learn in that story for us. Practical lessons. Numbers 27, Moses appoints Joshua as his successor. And there's a line in this chapter where Moses is told that he's not going to be able to go into the promised land. And Moses has the heart of a good shepherd. He says, what about these people? He says, I don't want them to be like sheep without a shepherd. And so the Lord says, Lay your hands on Joshua. Lay your hands on Jesus. I mean, if, 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 if even if you've never seen a Septuagint, if you read in the New Testament where it talks about Joshua in, in an interlinear Bible in Hebrews 4 and in, in Acts chapter 7, it's Jesus. It's the same name as Jesus of Nazareth. So, so the Lord says, lay your hands on Jesus so the people won't be like sheep without a shepherd. So, so there you go. Um, so, this is the book of Numbers, which, which nobody thinks is practical. And what have we seen in it? We've seen Jesus all over the place. Jesus is the rock. We see his name given here. We see Jesus being lifted up on the cross in the story of the bronze serpent. Uh, we see the Holy Spirit. We see the church throughout the whole story. This is the, the campus that's the, the, the camp of the, uh, the Israelites that's, that's following along, following the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see various sins that we are supposed to learn from, the sin of complaining. People are complaining about the food. They're complaining about their leaders. Uh, there's rebellion. There's false prophets. There's false. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of problems in the church that we're, we can learn from. And then they're heroes of the faith. I think Phineas is a great hero to me. And um, um so, you know, Moses and Aaron are our heroes, and Joshua and Caleb are heroes. They made it to the promised land. There's the people we can learn from. So they're practical lessons, but it's only when we take the time when we learn, we 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 follow, we we chew the whole wheat. It's the, we we take all of the scriptures, not just the New Testament, the gospels, and and the Psalms. We take it all and we chew on it, we work on it, and we ask ourselves. What are the practical lessons and what are the foreshadowings here? And we look to the, the New Testament writers and, and sometimes the early Christians to get benefit from it. So uh, uh, with that, I'll, I'll open it up for uh, questions, comments, and discussion. Excellent. Thank you very much, Brother Chuck. It was very practical and I appreciate your examples. I can't say that I've heard the clean and unclean animals. I had to wonder where you were going with that when that <laughs> came up. Um, but thank you for sharing that. I I think it's quite a profound um, connection there between the chewing of the cud and ruminating on the word throughout the day. 
That was very helpful. I found that the early church was very good at making uh, connections like that. Man. Anyone have any questions or comments for Brother Chuck? Actually, while you're thinking about that, you mentioned in the beginning and here at the end again, that we need the whole word. Um, I would say that my, I used to have a relationship with the Bible where I would see it as kind of a, a smorgasbord and you just take kind of what you want. And I noticed a couple of times you mentioned, don't just read the New Testament and Psalms. Um, but that's that's where, you know, high inspiration, I guess, uh, we, we go to get snippets and little bites for the day. Um, how can we how can we fight against against that? Like what perspective would we need of the scriptures to fight against that? Just tasting. Yeah. Uh, I'll say look to Jesus is mm -hmm. the example here. People say, well, I want to focus on the Gospels because uh, I, 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 I that's where I see Jesus. Well. Uh, listen to Jesus in John chapter three, the whole point of what he's making, which is <clears throat> to John three sixteen, is based on the, the, the fact that he assumes, you know, the story in numbers 21 about the bronze serpent in revelation chapter two, when he's talking about, um, uh, uh, the problems in the church. And he, he talks about Balaam who led the Midianites into sexual immorality. So you have to know not only <laughs> Numbers, you had to have read Numbers 22 to 25, first of all, and Numbers 31. So he assumes that you know these stories, all right? Uh, the same thing with Paul and the same thing, I mean, read First Peter. First Peter is all over. You just count the number of places that Peter, in a super practical letter, He's drawing from all over the Old Testament. So you don't listen to me. Listen, listen to them and how they made their arguments. They assume that you know the Old Testament scriptures really well. I mean, Paul's telling the, the, the Corinthians, well, about, about supporting the uh, those in the full-time ministry. He says, well, I mean, after all, it says, uh, uh, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. Well, how do they know that? <laughs> because because obviously they know the book of Deuteronomy really well, including some uh, rather uh, what we would consider to be minor details. They know this. So if you open your eyes, you'll see it all over the place that the, the Jesus and the apostles assume that you have a pretty solid understanding of the Old Testament. Yeah, that's that's a great answer. Thank you. Um, it's helpful for me as well to see the Bible as a whole book instead of a library of books and to see that God has a story from Genesis to Revelations and it's a revelation of Christ from beginning to end. Um, that was helpful for me to gain that perspective of the Bible as a whole book instead of just little portions that I can go and pull off the shelf and, and read uh, on a whim, I guess, but um, yeah, does anyone have any comments or questions? Hey, Chuck, if while while it's obviously true that it's fun and meaningful and in real sense required to understand the whole Bible, it's rather big. And so if you had to whittle down what couple chapters or certain passages would you say kind of really encapsulate the Old Testament? And is there a passage or two in the New Testament that encapsulates 
the New Testament? Oh boy, I don't know. That's that's a tough one. Because because um, yeah, we we eat all our food, but we don't eat it all yeah. at one time. Yeah. And I can't say to you, you know, in one sense, yeah, I'm the the result of all the food I've ever eaten in my 62 years. That's true, yeah. but you know what I mean? So that's my question. Well, I don't know. I mean, I I I would uh I, I don't I don't know the answer to that question. What's the what is the uh uh, and definitely, uh, Christ is the focus of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We even see this in the book of Numbers. So, uh, Jesus Christ is definitely the focus of it. Um, it it's tough because even, you know, Paul, Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy, he tells he tells Timothy, you know, you know, in the scriptures, it will make you wise for salvation. All scriptures given inspiration of God is useful for doctrine, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Man and God may be thoroughly equipped for every every good work. So, the uh, uh, Paul is pointing Timothy back to the entire Old Testament. <laughs> he's telling he's telling it's all useful. You need to know it all. And so, you know, if you, if you take that, you know, that perspective, if you ask Paul the question, he'd say, well, it's all important. It's all useful. If you want to be thoroughly equipped, you need to know it all. So, I mean, uh, you know, Deuteronomy 8, uh, the, the Deuteronomy 6, the love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, it says, uh, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes to the mouth of God. I mean, there's a lot of things in Deuteronomy that uh, that really uh, uh, in, encapsulate uh, some things there. Um, you know, New Testament, it's the uh, Jesus says this message of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. So it's it's, it's, it's the message of the kingdom. And uh, where would you find that? Uh, you find that in in, in the Gospels. But it's all over the place. So that's that's I got I got to think about that one. I got to meditate I, on that one. <laughs> can I tell you how I concluded on sure. that question line over yeah. the years? Yeah, Matthew five through seven. Because I looked at the New Testament, I'm like, somebody asked me what a good creed was, and I said, well, I'm not in that. I said, but what would Jesus' creed be? I said, well, Matthew five through seven is what I've concluded. And then because it's like I read the whole thing. And I'm like, it's like a story of him getting interrupted all the time. You know, he's going here and he gets interrupted and he does this. So it's these amazing things he does. Absolutely. And he's teaching the kingdom, preaching the kingdom throughout. But I'm like, is there one place I go where this is Jesus teaching? I, that's what I would have said, Matthew 5 through 7. Yep. And then the Old Testament, what I came up with was those first six or eight chapters of Deuteronomy, like you just mentioned, that. Moses is saying, hey, this is where we've been. This is phenomenal what God is doing and done for us. And this is where we're going. And these are the laws that will let us be live long, well, and prosper. Yeah. So that's what I would, that's what I conclude. And I just want to see what you thought of that. So Matthew 5 through 7 for me. Yeah. And and again, of course, we need it all, all. And it's been 40 years of studying that I've just concluded this in the last six months or so. Yeah. Because, Brother because Chuck. I've, I've not understood how the whole Bible Old Testament related to each other until a friend of mine in the last year or two gave me a little drawing that I can go in five minutes and do the whole Old Testament. Yeah. And it's been so much fun to be able to do that finally. And I understand so much better how it all connects 
But then if I had to boil it down just for my own sanity and for friends, that's what I've concluded. There was a comment that came in uh, on the chat and he mentioned, he says, I've become spiritually emaciated from an overload of messages. Um, I know that Paul says that through preaching, people will hear the word of God and be saved. Um, Can you comment on, I know we're inundated with a lot of messages and it's, it's been a, um, a key role in my journey is the messages listening, especially being isolated, um, not hearing sound messages in the church that I was going to. Um, so messages and things like that have played a, a big role in understanding the scripture. But could you speak to that a little bit on uh, maybe the balance of diet between listening to messages and spending time in the word you're uh, by your, uh, you know, on your own? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'm always going to put, yeah, they, this is it goes right back to what we talked about before. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes to the mouth of God. I mean, that's that's the uh, uh, which Jesus Himself quotes that. And so I'd say the the power is in the Word of God. And so and it's the same thing with with you know how people ask how important are the early Christians. The most important thing is to be is to be strong strongly rooted in the word of God. You know, this is the person who meditates on the word of God day and lights by, by, by stream planted by streams of water. So all these things, they point me back to the importance of my own personal study of the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, messages can be helpful, but I believe that I, 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 I would say to anybody, make, make sure you do that first. If you don't ever get around to the other stuff, <laughs> Okay, you can still do just fine. So uh, uh, me- messages are great. I mean, I I spend a lot of time teaching, uh, in in the hopes that this will encourage other people in their in their study. So I'm certainly not a down on that. I'm not opposed to that. I think that can be a wonderful thing. But uh, I would much. I mean, of all the stuff I've ever taught, if somebody if somebody grabbed this lesson and put it into practice, they gain more than. <laughs> everything else I've taught because this this is this is really the heart that I would hope that everyone would have is love the word of God and be devoted to it and that that infectious love will spread to other people. Mm-hmm. Amen. I found as well in listening to messages to go and read about it in the word, get get eyes on it. Um, don't just take some man's word for it. Um, but open the word and, and read the passages that are referenced in and connect the, the lesson that you might have received to what you read. And that way you can discern, you know, was that lesson what is actually there or is it something that they kind of um, built out of their own imagination or yep. uh, things like that. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, always af- I'm always afraid of being led around by other people in the world. I don't want to just follow the crowd in the world. I want to make a decision about what am I going to do with my life. And so I find sermons beautiful. I mean, I've heard, like all of us, a million phenomenal sermons that have helped me, like you said, Sam. But I don't want to be led around by other people, even in the church. They, they don't know my own struggles with Satan. I'm... God and I and the Holy Spirit know my struggles with Satan, and those are the ones 
that I want the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to really help me with. That's right. Brother Chuck, um, thank you so much for, for sharing this morning. <clears throat> Your enthusiasm uh, is infectious, it's contagious, uh, it's inspiring, uh, it's challenging. And um, at 70 years old, just uh, I just know that you're a diligent studier of God's word. And and uh, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for, for community like that, for church community where, um, yes, you know, these, it is so important um, for us to dig into God's word, but it's in the community too that it's a special grace that comes to us. Um, and uh, so thank you for being uh, diligent in that this morning. And just for your many, many um, beautiful object lessons there mm-hmm. that you, uh, parables and teaching that you gave to us. So you, that was, that was um, <clears throat> an eye opening as well. <clears throat> so God bless you, brother. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciated the the three levels that you mentioned, um, getting the basic storyline and then pulling some practical moral lessons um, and then looking for foreshadowings. And you mentioned that that's something that could take process or take, um, you know, throughout the day is something that we could do. Um, I don't have that great of a memory sometimes to remember what I was reading on in the morning. Maybe that's, maybe I didn't meditate on it long enough to make an impact, but how do you suggest, um, how do you suggest that happening in a, in a typical day? Uh, well, uh, everybody's different. And, uh, with me, I, <clears throat> I, <clears throat> I need time. So I, I, I don't know how else to put it. I just need any time. Uh, I'm not a fast reader. So I'll take my time and I want to read things slowly so that they can sink in. And um, so that's for me, I just simply need time. So, um, you know, whether it's an hour or, or whatever, depending on what I'm studying, what I'm doing. So to me, to me, it's I can't do that in 15, 20 minutes um, if it's going to sink in. So uh, it's like watering the grass, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you can't do it all once. You gotta, you gotta let it sink in. So um, uh, there's no, nothing more than I need to slow down. And, and it's like, I mean, to me, it's like I'm going into a mine where you know, I've got to I've got to get down into the mine, and then I got to travel to the face of the where the actual digging is 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 going on, looking for the gold. So it takes a while to get to the face of the mine, to the place where I'm actually working. So that's the biggest thing I need to I need time to do that. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll put a plug in here also for um, uh, this is really hard. The, probably the hardest group is is the mothers of small children, okay, <laughs> to to do this and and um, uh, a lesson like this can be overwhelming for people who who are in that stage of life, and so I just want to encourage all the the brothers the the the, the fathers to uh, 
really try to help your wives out uh, who are, it's much harder for them to focus than, than it is for us and to get the time that they need. Amen to that. Going back to the title of the talk, a meal that makes you hungrier. There's no fast food with the scriptures. I appreciate your emphasis on time there. Um, reading and rereading and rereading. Yeah, I found um, has been very helpful with finding new things and and seeing things in a different light instead of just, you know, read my chapter quick and I've got my plug for the day and away you go. Well, 10 minutes later, you're probably not going to remember even what you read. Um, time is the best thing and also the worst thing in our busiest schedules. Um, so that's very, very helpful encouragement there. Well, uh, is there anyone else that would like to say something before we wrap this up? If not, um, this has been extremely inspiring and helpful and practical. I think this is something that uh, we all face every day, how to get into the word, how to ruminate on it, how to dissect. I had to think about biology, the study of biology, and I am not a biologist by any stretch of the imagination, but they keep finding new things. And it seems like the closer they look, the closer they look and everything they find um, helps them understand the function of, say, the human body a little bit more, which also helps them address disease and things that aren't going right in the body. And I had to think about that in thinking about studying the Word of God. We can put it under a microscope. We can pull it apart. We can, you know, keep digging and keep digging and keep digging. And every the, the deeper we look, the more we'll find to understand our lives and our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And everything we learn will um, educate us on how to how to live and how to think and uh, Brother Chuck mentioned that to be wise, not only when you're gray hairs, but to be wise is to meditate on the word. And I think that's a good takeaway for us today is if we want to serve the families, the relatives, the friends, the communities that we are in, um, wisdom will be gained in meditating on the word. You can't take a shortcut to the wisdom of God, the fear of God without meditating on the word. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning, Brother Chuck. Um, I think we've all received some good encouragement to take with us today. Spend time in the word, meditate on it, and you will be richly rewarded. And I appreciate the mining analogy as well. We can walk away with gold in our pockets, um, not for tomorrow, but for today. Um, would you close us in prayer? And then I'll make some closing comments after after we pray. Amen. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. It's been a joy to be able to, uh, to, to share this this morning. Our Father in heaven, Lord, uh, thank you for giving us your word. It's a light shining in a dark place. It's the manna, the sweet bread that sustains us and gives us everything we need spiritually in life. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending us your son, Jesus. Lord, open up our minds. Uh, Father, help us to overcome uh, laziness and confusion 
and and help us to trust you and to immerse ourselves in your word. Help us to be men who are like tree planted by the streams of water that will thrive under all circumstances, uh, even in the face of, of hardship and challenges. I pray that you'll bless all of us and keep us strong in your word. Protect us from the evil one. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for rising early this morning to join us. Um, the early bird truly gets the worm. And I appreciated his uh, comments on rising early to spend time with God. There's nothing that can beat that. And um, so I would I would strongly encourage in that direction as well. So that's the final talk on our um, sacred writing series. I would encourage you to go back and listen to all of them again, if you've heard them before. Um, it has helped me to view the scriptures properly and to appreciate the, the writings that God has preserved for us, for our inspiration, for our instruction, and for our righteousness. Come again in two weeks on June 3rd. We'll have Brother Delbert Beaver sharing with us on speech patterns, speech and patterns of life. So that'll be in two weeks time on June 3rd. Thanks again for coming. God be with you all and keep reading your Bibles.